Hi, my name is Nicole. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Samuel 2, 1, 6 through 10. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength rises in the Lord. My mouth mocks my enemies because I rejoice in your deliverance. The Lord, he brings death, gives life, takes down to the grave and raises up. The Lord, he makes poor, gives wealth, brings low, but also lifts up high. God raises the poor from the dust, lifts up the needy from the garbage pile. God sits them with officials, gives them the seat of honor. The pillars of the earth belong to the Lord. He set up the world on top of them. God guards the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked die in darkness because no one succeeds by strength alone. The Lord, his, en his enemies are terrified. God thunders against them from heaven. The Lord, he judges the far corners of the earth. May God give strength to his king and raise up high the strength of his anointed one. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Pam. The New Testament reading is found in Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Sarah. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of your love demonstrated to us in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And now as we listen to your scriptures and read them aloud. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, quicken our hearts and work in us. Cause us to see truly, to hear clearly, Lord, and to believe wholeheartedly in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. My name's Glenn Packiam. I get to serve as the pastor here at New Life downtown. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to read these little books called the Mr. Books, and I think they come from uh, England, and they've gone around the world now, and so we've tried to find different ones for our kids. The Mr. Books, Mr. Happy, Mr. Strong, and then there's Little Miss, Little Miss Giggles, Little Miss, you know, and uh, one of my favorites is, uh, 
Mr. Topsy-Turvy. And it's just so absurd. You know, Mr. Topsy-Turvy, the picture of him, he's got his uh, hat upside down. And then he walks, you know, looking backwards while he's walking forwards. And Mr. Topsy-Turvy's house, the door is hung uh, upside down. And the curtains are hanging backwards. All of this stuff, it's just Topsy-Turvy. And you kind of laugh at it. But if you're just a little bit bothered, you kind of want to scream, you know. And you're like, stop it already and do things the right way, you know. And because there's something in us, uh, even if you don't have serious problems, there's something in us that really wants to see disorder reordered. We want to see what's wrong be set right. And it's that feeling uh, uh, that every fan of the NFL has when a controversial a call has been made on the field. Any football fans, I hope maybe you're watching the Broncos on your phone while listening to me. Just keep me updated. Um, but, 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 you know, there, there's been all this debate in the NFL about what a catch really is. I mean, if you have two hands, two feet, you know, no knees, no, you got to make a football move. What's a football move? We don't know, you know, but all this debate about what a catch is. If you're with me, you're with me. If you're not, just hang on. It'll be over soon. And, uh, and, and imagine that you're watching a game and the catch happens and it's for your team and they score a touchdown, except that the ball comes loose. And so the ruling on the field is fumble and the other team has the ball. And you're like, no, that's a bad call. If you're the yelling at the TV kind of person. And, uh, and then you, you know, the officials review and they're debating and discussing. And then you hear the umpire say, you know, the head ref or whatever say, okay, listen, the ruling of the field is overturned. It is a touchdown. And you're like, yes, I knew it. This is what what we want when we look at the world around us. We see a world that is topsy-turvy and we see the the wicked prospering and we see bullies winning and we see the weak being further uh, hurt and wounded. And we think, God, would the great umpire of the cosmos stand up and say, the ruling on the earth is overturned. And I'm going to rule in favor of the ones who are innocent and who have been pushed out and pushed down. And I'm going to rule on behalf of the weak. I'm going to rule on behalf of the cause of the needy. Don't we want to hear those words? This is the Bible's longing for justice, for the world to be set right, for righteousness and justice. Advent, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and maybe a lot of this is new to you, and so Advent is just sort of an alternative name for Christmas or the Christmas season. Uh, I want to actually help us this morning by understanding that Advent is actually the name of a season all by itself. It's a different season. A Christmas will begin at midnight on December 25th, and it'll last for 12 days. There really are 12 days of Christmas. But Advent is meant to be its a season on its own, a season that in some ways leads up to Christmas, but actually does more than that. Advent is a season when we look back at the, the, the coming of Jesus that happened 2,000 years ago, but also a time when we look forward to the future coming of Jesus. And so many times the prayers and the scriptures that are meant to be read by the church during Advent are prayers and, and scriptures that are meant to make us long for the coming King. And so at New Life Downtown, we're going to do a series called The Songs of Expectation, and we're going to go through uh, the four songs that are there in Luke's gospel, four songs that appear in Luke's gospel. And each of these songs will give us a window into what it means to wait for the coming of God what it means to expect the coming of God, and how we can prepare our own hearts for this. And so the first song we're going to look at is Mary's song. It's found in Luke chapter 1. 
Now, our gospel reading this morning took us right up to the edge of Mary's song. It took us, it told us the story of the angel appearing to Mary and all of that. And then as we get into it, we're going to look closely now at the words that Mary sings. Luke 1, verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. This song is often called the Magnificat's. And it's called that because uh, later versions of it would be translated into Latin. And so for the word magnify, the Magnificat, this is a song about Mary magnifying the Lord. It's taken from the first line. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever." I want you to see two things about this song. And the first is, Mary is singing about a great reversal. Mary is singing about a great reversal. Maybe you recall the words that we heard read this morning from 1 Samuel. It's Hannah's song. Hannah, who would give birth to Samuel, who would be one of the first, the first judge of Israel and the, first, the, the introduction of God's righteousness and justice coming into an age that was confused and full of chaos. Next spring at New Life Downtown and all across our congregations at New Life Church, we're going to do a series on 1 Samuel, and we'll talk more about that. But Hannah's singing her song saying, God, look at this world. Would you, bring, would you raise up someone through me that would be an answer to the mess that this world is in. And so Mary, generations later, Mary's channeling Hannah's song. She's taking a page from Hannah's hymn book and saying, no, no, yes, God, if if this is really true, if what the angel says is really true about what you're doing, then God, let this be the moment where you bring about a great reversal. Now look closely at this. What kind of reversal? What is this reversal about? First of all, Mary says this great reversal will expose pride. Verse 51, it says that he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. This is a reversal that will expose pride. Now think about this. So often we see this this charade going on in the world. We see people who kind of have this veneer of being nice. But we kind of wonder, am I being conned? Is there something else going on? What's the real story? Can someone just eliminate all the spin, please? And Mary says, one day God is going to expose the pride. Uh, that are, that's hidden in people's hearts. You won't have to wonder anymore. And then it's, it's a reversal that doesn't just expose pride, but it shifts power. It shifts power. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. This is a song about a revolution. A song about rulers being brought down from thrones. Now, interesting side note, years ago, I was visiting uh, with, a, with a New Life downtowner. We were visiting one of the colleges at Oxford, and this, my American friend, I, I'm American too, but this guy was, is like really all American, and he, said, and he said to the student there, he said, so what are you studying? And she said, oh, I'm studying revolutions. And he said, oh, which ones? And she said, mostly the French. And he said, well, how come you're not studying the American revolution? And she said, 
because it's not technically a revolution. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, the king was not brought down from his throne. Like, it's technically a rebellion. Now, now all of you, just your mind's blown right there. <laughs> and she's right. It was not technically a revolution. Why? Because no one was brought down off the throne. But Mary's singing about a revolution. She says the mighty are going to be brought. This is not a rebellion. This is not a secession. This is the ones who sit on the throne are actually going to fall. That's, that's a strong phrase. And then Mary sings about a reallocation of possessions. Now we're squirming. You know, now we're like, wait a minute, Mary, what are you talking about? He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary's saying, look, all of those who have it bad right now, you're going to be filled. And all of those who think you've got it good right now, be careful, you're going to be sent away empty. And of course, in Mary's day, the way that people became wealthy was through exploitation, was on the backs of someone else's labor and someone else's exploitation. The truth is, it's not necessarily all that different today. And we look around at a global economy and we think, are wealthy countries wealthy because of the slavery of others? And we tremble to think of how the great judge of the earth will sort out history one day. We tremble to think about how the great judge will say, yeah, you thought you did this on your own, but actually you've done it at the expense of someone else. And so I'm going to reverse things now. And so there's a reversal that will actually reallocate possessions. Now, when you think about this song, this is not a sweet little song. This is not like a nice little, oh, Mary. I mean, I don't know what you've imagined the Magnificat to be. But especially calling it the Magnificat doesn't help. You know? Because Latin, highbrow, you might, maybe you've heard some sort of choral version in a cathedral. And I love cathedral choirs. But I want to say to you, the Magnificat is less like a cathedral choir song and more like the Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> I mean, maybe Bob Dylan or something. I mean, this is a song of revolution. I mean, isn't it one of the great ironies of history that a song written by a young Jewish girl who was essentially a slave in the Roman Empire gets then translated into Latin and is sung in highbrow culture in the presence of kings and queens. So lovely, that version of the Magnificat. The Magnificat is a revolution song. It's a song about uprising. It's about God bringing about a great reversal. And when you think of that, what does that say to us about Advent? It says Advent is a season of expectation and preparation. For some of us, it's, it's primarily a season of expectation because we're the ones waiting for a reversal. We're the ones saying, God, you know all the ways I've been mistreated. You know all the things that have happened to me. You know all the stuff that's gone wrong. One day, will you turn the tables on this? One day, will you flip the script on this? Will you change the storyline? You know how I've been pushed to the side. You know how my bank account is dwindling. You know because of others, because of this, because of, you know what's Would you flip the script on this one day? And so many of you live in that profound sense of expectation of this great reversal. Others of you, others of us, maybe the challenge here is that this is a time of preparation. And you're saying, well, if God is going to expose pridefulness and, and the hoarding of possessions and the exploitation of others, maybe I should prepare my heart for that right now. And like start to learn generosity now and start to learn sacrificial giving now because the king is coming. That's what Mary's singing about. And then secondly, Mary, the other thing I want you to see about this song is that Mary rejoices not just in the reversal, but in what the reversal reveals about God. Her text 
is not primarily the situation. Her text is not primarily the, the, the situation of the society around her. Her text is God. She's singing about God. Now, every songwriter knows that the first words of a song are kind of your key phrase. It's your key line. If you don't have a good first line to a song, you might need to rethink the song. What's your opening line? And Mary's opening line is, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is huge. This is huge because for a people who'd been living on the margins, a people who'd been, had gone through the exodus, and gone through exile, and gone through uh, 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 living under Roman rule and Roman oppression, these are people who understand if your joy is purely connected to your circumstances, you're never going to sing. If your joy is purely connected to external circumstances, you will never sing. But Mary says, I'm rejoicing in God, my Savior. I know who God is. I know what God will do. And so I want us to to see with Mary here. Okay, Mary, what is it we need to see about God? This is what the great reversal reveals about God. First, the Lord is mindful. What is this great reversal? What does this song, Mary, show us about God? What's the theology hidden behind your song? And Mary would say to us today, well, I first want you to know that the Lord is mindful. Verse 48, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. In the NIV, it says, he's been mindful of my humble estate. God knows it. He's mindful. He is, verse 54, almost like brackets, like bookends to this song. It's kind of like her opening line and like her closing refrain. He has helped his servant in remembrance of his mercy. The Lord is mindful. Mary sings this because you can imagine generations of disappointment, centuries of darkness, hundreds of years of silence, wondering, God, do you remember? Are you mindful? Have you ever felt that in the midst of darkness to say, God, you you still remember what we talked about? Like, did you... You know, maybe you've had that awkward human interaction with a friend who promised you, like, something, and you don't know how to bring it up. You're like, hey, bro, remember that time you kind of said you were going to, you know? Mary's, think about that times like a million. And Mary's like, God, remember how you said? Like, do you still, are you still planning on that? And now she says, the Lord is mindful. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. Your way is not hidden from the Lord. Your life is not forgotten by God. It doesn't matter how dark or how bleak or how difficult it is. It does not mean that you are invisible to God. The Lord is mindful. And this young Jewish girl, scared out of her mind, sings to us. The Lord is mindful. The Lord is mindful. And then as the song goes on, we see Mary saying to us, the Lord is mighty. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Strength in his arm. He's mighty. See, this is the challenge with when, you know, we we celebrate Christmas in a way that can sentimentalize Jesus. And so Jesus becomes, oh, this sweet little town of Bethlehem, and, you know, oh, no crying he makes, and just cute little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus, you know. 
And Mary's like, she's the one that's going to carry baby Jesus. And she's not sentimentalizing him. She's not singing about, oh, I just love little babies. She's singing about a mighty God who will bring about his kingdom on earth. The Lord is mighty. However you prepare your hearts for the coming of Jesus, prepare it in a way that reminds you of his might. It reminds you of how strong he is. And so maybe you're in a situation where you say, I really need God to show himself strong on my behalf. I really need God to, 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 to not only be mindful of me, but to be mighty on our behalf. To be mighty to save Advent is when we expect that. And we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. All right, Lord, do it then. Come and be mighty on our behalf. Be mighty. And then finally in Mary's song, what it reveals about God is that the Lord is merciful. In his mercy, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. You see, if we only have his mindfulness and his might, we might get confused about what God is like. We might imagine that God is primarily obsessed with justice, that God is judge dread, or, you know, whatever, I am the law. God is a Schwarzenegger character. Mighty. But you can't invert the image of God. When Moses says, God, let me see a glimpse of your glory in Exodus, what does he hear? The Lord the Lord, merciful and mighty, abounding in compassion, full of steadfast love. Everything that God does flows out of that. Everything that God does, even his justice, even his judgment flows out of his mercy. All of it does. And so we, we, what we don't want is to create confusion. And so Christians are like, well, you know, we do have to balance that God is the Father and God is the judge. We have to balance God's love and God's justice. You don't have to balance it. What you have to see is a love that is so rich and so strong that out of that love, God judges. And out of that love, God gets angry. And out of that love, because when you see it that way, then you're seeing a judgment that is actually about re- restoration. And then you're seeing an anger that actually has the purpose in mind to put things back together again. The Gospels tell us that Jesus got angry when he saw a man with a withered hand and he healed him. That's a window into reading God's anger correctly. If you don't, you're going to see it as dual vision. And you're going to be like, I don't know which God, which God, which God, which God. And Mary is singing in a way to say to you, in case you forget, Yahweh is full of mercy. The merciful God. And his judgment comes out of his mercy. And his justice comes out of his mercy. And the reversal of fortunes comes out of his mercy. But don't miss, the heart of God is the the Lord, the Lord, merciful, abounding in compassion, full of steadfast love. That's the heart of Mary's song. And when we think about this, I think the invitation for us is to see something different. If we sing with Mary, what do we learn? If we sing with Mary, I think we understand that we're being invited into worship. Mary's song is an invitation to worship. You know, the early Christians used this song as one of their early hymns to Christ. The Romans would record that early Christians would sing hymns to Christ as if he were, were a God. 
And from very early on, it's Mary's song is one of those songs. It's one of those hymns. We think of some of the other ones in the New Testament. Think of Philippians 2. We think of Colossians 1. But Mary's song is one of those. In fact, in uh, traditional liturgical churches, the Magnificat, along with Zechariah's song and along with Simeon's song, gets iterated in every um, rhythm of prayer. It's a regular song. Why? Because we're meant to worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Magnify the Lord. You say, well, there's a lot out there that's troubling and difficult and dark. Right, 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 right. But don't magnify that. Magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Mary's joy is multiplied because in her eyes the Lord is magnified. And then I think Mary's song is also an invitation to join Jesus in his work. It's an invitation to actually join Jesus in his work. The rest of Luke's gospel will show this reversal, hints of how this reversal takes place. Jesus says, if anyone has two coats, let him give to the one in need. Luke's gospel consistently shows Jesus reaching outside the boundaries to help those at the margins. Now Luke wrote a volume two, right? Church tradition says Luke didn't just write the gospel, he also wrote the book of Acts. And Luke's a pretty clever storyteller, so he begins Luke's gospel with the story of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary so that the Messiah can come. How does Acts open? We just heard it this morning. Acts opens with Jesus saying to the disciples, wait, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And the kingdom, you will be my witnesses to my kingdom because of this power. Do you see it? Just as the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, so the Spirit is meant to overshadow the church so that we can join Jesus in his work of bringing about righteousness and justice in the world. That's what, it, what we're called to do. Amen. And so Mary's song is not just a, a nice song of worship. They're like, oh, I love that one. That's, a, that's one of my favorites. Mary's song is meant to say, all right, let's go. Let's go do this. Let's go join Jesus in his work. When I was watching the video of the Springs Rescue Mission, the, the, the ladies saying to us what they now have because of a, a women's shelter there, I thought, that's what a great reversal looks like. It's a, it's a hint of it. It's not a full reversal. We'd love to see more, but that's a hint of it. All of a sudden, someone with no dignity has dignity. Someone with no hope has hope. That's a reversal of fortunes. That's how we participate in it. And so every time we join in this work, see, when you, I know when you heard the, the phrase reallocation of possessions, you're like, oh no, communism, you know, <laughs> right? And that's when the state mandates it. But Jesus, he's not that kind of king. Jesus is the kind of king that changes you so deeply that you freely give. Freely we have received, freely give. Nobody's forced me to do this, but I understand. I've got two of these. I don't need this. You have this. I've got extra of this. You do this. We don't need to just buy Christmas gifts for our family. Who else can we help out with Christmas gifts for? We don't need to only think about giving here. How can we give for the sake of the city? This is how participating in the great reversal takes place is you start to become so transformed with the good news of who King Jesus is, his mindfulness of us, his might, his mercy, that you say, all right, all right, I I want in on that. Let's do this. Who else can we help? How can we see a great reversal arrive, even here 
even now. Would you bow your heads this morning?